This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Moran Rout and Ruth Todd. And Moran, I have poetry today. And so do I. I'm talking with Auckland poet Joanna Emony about a wonderful new collection called Felt. And I'm talking to one of our most established poets, Harry Ricketts. Trashed. A dog turned over your rubbish today while you were out at work. Neighbours with nothing better to do than drive to and from distraction slowed perused gluey tissues, bottles that didn't make it to the yellow bin, own brand biscuit wrappers, and a brown comfortable shoebox. They shocked at twisted tubes of God knows what, the damp tangle of floss and cotton, then gagged at something the cat dragged in, mummified and airtight and glad wrap, slick as a new-birthed human thing. Often you've seen that dun ridgeback plundering the bins of others, head low, his rabid-looking chops fastened on a gutted bag, shaking it along the road so the innards land on tidy berms like dirty words, anonymous insults. But this afternoon... You've returned to find shit on your own doorstep. Things strewn the length of your fence line and the shiny black plastic covering of your life split right open, its firm double knot still tied at the top. That was Auckland poet Joanna Emony reading from her collection of poetry, Felt. Joanna lives with um, many animals and a husband on four acres just north of Auckland. She's a senior tutor at Massey University and has worked as a facilitator of creative writing for adults and young people. Last year I talked to her when she was the editor of the Poetry New Zealand Yearbook. But this book is full of very droll, um, but very moving poems, Joanna. And I, I said I was trying not to say accessible, but you like that word. Tell me why. Um, well, I think that the more accessible poetry is, um, well, first of all, the easier it is to connect with readers. And secondly, um, the more popular we can make poetry. And I think that... Um, a lot of people have an aversion to poetry because they feel that it will be difficult. Um, and I remember studying poetry at school and at first feeling exactly the same way, feeling that it was very hard to get away into poetry. But as soon as um, my English teacher said to me, look, all you do is you just ask yourself who's speaking in the poem, what's happening in the poem, what's the story going on here? And what are the major ideas that it's trying to get across to you? Uh, something clicked. And I just thought, well, that, that's quite right. And there is a reason that we turn to poetry um, when someone gets married, when we lose someone, you know, when we're looking for something to say at a, at a funeral. 
And it's because what poetry is doing is distilling, um, distilling things for us in a compact way. It's not that poetry tries to be elusive or clever, and certainly if it does, it, it's not it's not doing what we want poetry to do. What we want poetry to do is to certainly communicate a personal story, but to make that personal story universal. Yes, most people will relate um, definitely to the poem you've just read. (laughs) We've all all had our dirty washing, our our secret um, stash of rubbish, torn apart and and put where everybody can see it. So, yeah. but, you know, there's always layers to poetry, which is what gets me every time, that you can read it and it can just seem to say what it's saying, but then often you're left at the end of it thinking, now there's something else it's saying and that's something I want to think about or mm. or explore more. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, poetry can do the work of transformation. And so, you know, you can take a poem like that one, for example, and it's, it's a fun poem in that something, something quite amusing happens and the orderly person, you know, the, the rubbish is set out quite nicely and then, it, then the dog, I mean, this actually happened, you know. We have it a neighborhood dog that goes <laughs> around, um, you know, marauding through people's, uh, you know, bags of rubbish and tipping over the bins and so, you know, there's your rubbish at the top of the drive all tipped out. And it is quite amusing, you know, you come back and there's everything set up for everyone to see what was in your rubbish. Um, but on the other hand, when you think about it, and this is sometimes how poetry writes itself, the other meaning comes through that, which is, you know, you can try very hard to present yourself in a certain way. And for all of your hard work, ultimately, um, there's going to be some little slippage. And, and at some point in your life, someone's going to see something about you that you didn't want to be shown. Exactly. No, and, and hey, who ultimately cares? But it is a funny little thing that you can try very hard to tie up everything in your, your, your life with a nice tight knot. But ultimately, sometimes there's going to be that little, oh, no, I, you know, I didn't want people to know that or see that. Um, but, but there it is. It's happened. And so you do get that transformation of a basic idea into a more complex idea. And that is kind of um, the work of poetry sometimes to be accessible on that initial layer and then to give you the other reading when you when you maybe go back to it if you need to. Yeah, and you do that very well. One of the poems that I related to immediately was A Childhood in the Country because mm-hmm. I grew up in the country as well. And the last um, stanza is, is particularly apt, I thought, that fright is never a surprise to a child who lives on a farm. That's right, and I think that um, if you have a, an, a rural upbringing, in many ways you're so lucky because you're exposed to so many things um, early that have to do with um, the big things in life, the life and death things, um, because you see them in the animal world, don't you? You do, 
You do. They're right in front of them. You, you can't avoid them. And yeah. often often they're treated in a very matter-of-fact way. There's no drama. Mm, so, that's right. So as you say, you don't get frightened. Yeah, that's right. I mean, or I'd like to think that I don't. But um, <laughs> Oh, it doesn't mean that you won't be affected yeah. at all. But um, it's presented to you in a way that is more palatable, I think, than shock and awe. Yeah, that's right. So your animals and your living in the country still gives you a huge amount to, to write about and, and think about. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I'd love to have a whole lot more land, but we just have the little lifestyle block and I have my lovely goats. I wish I'd discovered goats earlier, but uh, I've only had them for, I think, about five years now. But my husband and I just love them so much. They're such characterful companions. And we have little miniature ponies, and I go riding once a week with my friend up the road. Um, And so it's kind of a return to childhood for me. I spent 14 years in England devoid of uh, animal company because we we didn't live rurally. And so as soon as I came home, um, I just immediately um, wanted to have land and animals back around me because I find them not only um, a great source of writing material, but I I just find them good for the soul, you know. We're going to finish with another poem, a poem called Strawberries. Do you want to introduce that to us, Joanna? Sure. Well, um, my parents had a market garden um, in Coatesville, where I live. So I've returned to about, I don't know, 2K from where I grew up. And uh, this poem, again, um, you know, has the surface layer of um, just using my mother's attitude to um, our yearly strawberry harvest to show something about her personality and my relationship with her. She was a very positive person and sometimes when you're living on an agricultural farm um, there can be a great deal of worry surrounding the crops because your crop is your money, you know, and whereas the men in the family were were always um, worried so much that hail would ruin a crop or that rain would destroy it or blight would destroy it, my mother always had a, a very positive attitude. So this is strawberries. Whatever you may have wanted from this land, the men turned it all into strawberries. A difficult crop, but at its nascence, all you saw was promise. Ready petal edges browning translucent at the bruises as they should. After ruinous rain, you'd say, all we can do is wait and see. And what appeared to others a poor, semi-blighted row was to you one with hardiness that would prove itself in another summer or two. Then it did. Could you have known from the start that inflorescence under threat would beget a stubborn green nub of clone flesh and tenderness to reward your faith, and that in your season the hard, dark specks of existence were made near imperceptible for your daughter. They were swallowed as sweetness with the rest. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you. The book is called Felt. It's by Joanna Emony, and it's published by Massey University Press. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.
So this is the first poem in the selected poems. It's called Peking History Lesson 1977, although now should, of course, be called Beijing History Lesson. And it's in two sections. One, in blues and greens, talking, not looking, cheerful workers amble or pedal through the courtyards of the forbidden city under a whitening six o'clock sky. Above each gate, Mao's portrait, synthetically benign, the wart on his chin just left to centre. As Lode say, once wittily remarked to Confucius, times change. Two, there used to be incense and an ox and incantation as the priests unrolled the sacred silken scrolls and the son of heaven at the hour appointed took upon him the sins of his people. We must learn from history, said the guide with a smile, as we listened by the wall for an echo, and watched the workers, educated morally, physically and intellectually, walk in the sun under the curved duck, duck egg blue tiles, discussing perhaps the example of Lei Feng, who died on the job, hit by a reversing truck 15 years ago. Harry Ricketts reading from his uh, selected poems, which has just been published. Harry has written and edited more than 30 books, but it is poetry that has been the most constant and the most personal in tone. From his 1989 collection, Coming Home, in which he wrote the first of his Secret Life poems, to his 2018 collection, Winter Eyes, which reviewer Tim Upperton called unsettling, moving, both estranging and empathetic. Ricketts has written of friendship, youth, <clears throat> romance, loss, and the small moments that carry a lifelong weight or light within us. His voice is recognisable for its humility, intelligence, and warmth. In, sorry, in selected poems, its full range is represented for the first time. Welcome to the programme, Harry. Uh, thank you, thank you. Now that, Very nice to be here. <laughs> that poem you've just read, um, tell me about that one and, and uh, how it came about. Okay, that, that came about, um, so it's called Peking History Lesson 1977, and it was written on a trip to China. I was working in Hong Kong at the time, and uh, you couldn't go into China just crossing the border with a ticket. You had to be part of a group. And uh, a friend and I were part of a rather eccentric group, um, mostly engineers, but a few diplomats um, and other assorted people like us. And we mostly went round the north of China and we went to a lot of open cast mines, but we wound up in Beijing, um, still sometimes called Peking at that point. And so the poem is really a kind of reflection on walking around the Forbidden City, um, watching people, thinking about the past and the present. You know, Mao, this was um, uh, March 1977, so um, uh, Mao had only very recently died the, the, the year before, and his presence was everywhere, you know, very apparent. And uh, but thinking about how Lei Tzu might have said to Confucius, times change, that would have been witty because he didn't think that. Okay, so it would have been a joke. Um, and then thinking about what we were being told about present China 
and the, the workers educated morally, physically and intellectually, um, how the heroes for that were to be presented to us were people like uh, a worker, Lei Fung, just an ordinary person who had been hit by a truck 15 years earlier, but he was a worker hero. And so it was a kind of, the poem was trying to catch something of the blur of present China, associations with the past, um, and being there. <laughs> yes, I hadn't, I hadn't known that you ever went to China, so that's why I was keen to for you sure. to read that poem, which opens the book. But um, you have written so many books um, and edited so many books, and I was looking at the list last night, and I looked at what I had on my shelves, and the ones that I really open lots are the 99 ways into New Zealand poetry which you wrote with Paula Green in 2010 and then the Spirit Spirit in a Strange Land and Spirit Abroad with Paul Morris and Loris Edmund who I uh, knew well and, and loved her poetry and that was way back 1997 I think tremendous diversity you go from spirited verse to um, spiritual verse to sports um, and I'm sure you enjoyed the cricket the other night <laughs> I certainly enjoyed the cricket the other night well yeah I guess the things that I either write about or do um, edit collections of uh, reflect um, my my interests really you know um, yes. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm mad about poetry mad about cricket um the spiritual verse which i did with uh, paul morris and mike grimshaw was paul morris's idea um and i think we like the idea of having uh, edit uh, a, a little cluster of editors who he he's jewish i'm i'm a kind of agnostic uh, and mike um is a kind of post, describes himself as a post-christian so i think we <laughs> like the idea of reflecting uh in the anthology, uh, rather different ideas of spirituality, but trying to come together with something um, that would speak to a range of people. And, and it obviously did. It, it won a prize. Um, yes, d uh, indeed. And I um, talked to Mike about that one uh, when he was in Christchurch then. I don't know whether he still is. Um, not sure. He was when I last heard of him. Oh, well, he will be <laughs> in the... Um, university I guess and your time in the university has um, affected your poetry or what have you learnt from students more well, about yourself or in your writing <laughs> yes of course I mean um, I've been at um, Victoria for uh, 40 years Good <laughs> coming up next month I'm, I'm going to be retiring um, and shifting on to teaching the rest of the year on contract very soon in fact tomorrow um so and before that i i taught at leicester university and before that at hong kong university and it was while i was at hong kong university that i went to china and you know wrote that poem so yeah university and before that i was at university um so universities have kind of um they've they've been the day job all the way through and I've been very lucky to, to have that. I mean, um, you know, it's very lucky to spend time with um, students for whom life is starting, um, who are full of, of hope and bounce and, and kind of enthusiasm and idealism. 
and other things too, of course, but uh, that's very lucky. And to talk about books. Indeed, so, and so lucky to have you, um, um, I might add. Well, that's nice. Um, but, you know, so I, you know, I get to talk about books. That's, that's my, has been my job. And books are not just my job. They're also my hobby, um, amongst other things. Uh, and so, you know, um, I'm always reading something, normally multiple things. And I guess that probably explains a bit of why um, they get into the poems. So uh, lines from, but lines from songs as well, but lines from other poems or lines from I'm Mad About Dylan and, and various other singer-songwriters. Uh, but so, also, you know, things I've read, I reflect about them, they prompt ideas. I think, ah, I want to write something about that. So let's have another poem. Okay. Okay, well, this is a very different sort of poem. It's called Oddly Like a Bee. Today, you're not in your room, but in the common room. A newspaper is upon the table. Jacinda Ardern, the headline. You wouldn't have voted for her. She should wear her hair up, I can hear your old self say. I put my white sunglasses on the table and place my right hand in yours. You stroke my fingers, are puzzled by the rectangular silver ring. Claire gave me that in 1970, I say. I always wear it. I had her name inscribed, then rightly thinking she'd find that vulgar, had it erased. She married her tutor, had two daughters, died years ago, angry with God. My mother's given up on the ring and has picked up my sunglasses. She turns them over and over in her knobbly fingers, and very carefully puts them on. They make her look oddly like a bee. When I wheel her into lunch, kiss her goodbye, she's still wearing them. Thank you, Harry Ricketts, reading that really moving poem about your dear mother, because you were very, very close, weren't you? We were close, yes. Um, uh, she was a formidable person, my mother. <laughs> she, uh, She... She taught at um, schools um, in the UK for many years and pupils of hers would say that she could reduce a classroom to silence just with her stare. She had a battleless stare. <laughs> she was very I, kind to me. I, I had a teacher like that. <laughs> <laughs> she was very kind to me and she got me to read, not actually poetry so much, um, but she got me to read Jane Austen. You know, when I yes. was 14, something like that. Uh, she encouraged me to read things. And um, she was, you know, mad about books, like me. Like, just like you. Wonderful to have a parent like that. So when you were doing the um, selected poems... Yeah. You're an editor yourself. And when you were... You helped edit them, or did you have Ashley edit them, or...? What, how did uh, no, um, I, I did the first edit, and basically that's what we went with. Although, as with that poem, Ashley made one or two suggestions. Why don't you leave that one out? Why don't you put this one in, like that one? Um, and I really trust her instincts. She's, she's a fantastic editor for lots of reasons, but one, one is that she's always on the side of the poem. So she thinks, you know, if she likes a poem, then... It's hard with your own poems, you know, you, they're, they're, it's hard to be objective about them, even ones that are, you know, were written like 
um, Peking history lesson, you know, so, nearly 45 years ago. Um, so it's, it's very useful to have somebody else mm. to bounce things off. But basically, I did the arranging. And what I looked for were poems that still kind of interested me or had seemed to me to have some life in them. Well, they certainly do. So have we got time for one more before we finish? Yeah, of course. Um, Okay, well, a rather different sort of poem, perhaps. Uh, This is a poem called Second Chances, but it perhaps does reflect um, uh, the fact that things I read find their way into the poems I write. So at the back of this poem, as as many of your listeners will, will pick up, There's um, my favourite novel in the world, Persuasion, Jane Austen's Persuasion. This is a poem called Second Chances. The thing with second chances is so much depends upon luck. You might pretend you're in some updated Regency novel, all smartphones, Range Rovers, wit, lattes, even sex. Dream on. You're no only Anne. Although, come to that, doesn't luck... The pen dealing a marked deck, Lyme Regis, Louisa's fall on the cob, determine the happily ever after. And you know, you know, that's not how these things really go. Yet, for you, somehow they did. You were in the middle way, mire deep in misery, sinking, clutching, and then suddenly, dry land, new life, the ever whatever. It wasn't deserved, wasn't virtue rewarded. No imaginary friend didn't like miraculously intervene or anything. No siree. It didn't make sense, and still doesn't. But you took the chance when it came again. Trusted love, not persuasion. It's Sir Harry Ricketts reading from his selected poems, which is a must read for a must collection. I'm going to treasure it, Harry, and look at it often. And it's published by the Victoria University of Wellington Press. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.